Now, time for McNamara on Money, sponsored by McNamara Financial Services. Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you find the next two hours helpful and informative. Give us a call at the studio if we can answer any questions. 781-837-4900. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Happy New Year, everyone. I hope everyone had a lovely holiday season and is enjoying 2019 thus far. Um, this morning, I'm joined by my husband, Kirk Reed. Good morning. Actually, he's trying. He's working on technical difficulties at the moment, so wasn't near the microphone. That was an ill-timed good morning. Good morning. Okay, we're all set now. Um, all right, we have no difficulties. Oh, okay. Uh, again, Happy New Year, everyone. We're going to talk this morning about New Year's resolutions type stuff. So the title of our show this morning is New Year, New You. And I'm sure everyone thinks about reinventing some small aspect of their life uh, around this time each year. And so we, of course, wanted to approach it from a financial point of view. Um, so we have sort of divvied this up into four New Year's type resolutions regarding um, financial behavior. And I think we wanted to spend the first segment of the show regarding um, 
financial behavior as it relates to market behavior. And so um, I'm calling this first segment of the show, I will behave appropriately when it comes to my investments as a New Year's resolution. Uh, so if anyone has questions for us this morning, 781-837-4900, we are here, we are live, we are in studio, we have a babysitter for the kids, <laughs> we have energy, we had coffee, uh, and we are ready to go. Spe- speaking of resolutions, so we try, you know, we've been recording, you know, the shows uh, with a video camera sometimes, and we have one today. Yeah. Yep. But the new the new thing we're doing today is the cameras are facing us, which is not good because I don't like looking at myself. So you can. So see. now that 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 I now I definitely have a resolution for this year. Now that I can see well, my that, face, uh, well, unless it's adding well, twenty pounds on the camera. Well, I can just this, flip um, it over. <laughs> well, this ties into your New Year's resolution yes. of getting to the gym more and yeah. um, getting on a, a yeah. healthy eating Ugh. plan. Yes, Ugh, yeah. as lo- along with eighty or ninety percent of America mm-hmm. probably has the same resolution. Yeah, um, new me. But I told you I'm joining you on the healthy eating kit because my eating habits have been horrible the last couple months. But I do actually, but I do go to the gym, so I'm fifty percent there. That's true. All right, so New Year's resolution number one: when it comes to your money, I will behave appropriately when it comes time to my investments. When it comes to my investments, of course, um, I sound I, I'm I'm always using that word appropriate with with the kids. So I'll try not to, um, it's just funny to hit cause I'm talking about how they, you know, that's not appropriate behavior. You know, I try not to use the word bad behavior when it comes to, to dealing with the children. And I'll do the same when it comes to dealing with clients. I try to use the word appropriate. And so, um, I think this is fairly well timed. Well, obviously, because it's around the new year and it's something we could, that people could focus on, but I, it's well timed given the market volatility in the last couple of months. And it, you know, market volatility, we haven't had a lot of volatility in the United States stock market in almost 10 yeah, years. Yeah, about 10 years, yeah. I mean, there was there was a few little bumps, but nothing um, like we saw at the end of calendar 18. And so I think people just, not that they forgot, but they just weren't used to it. And and it just, it, it just leads people to ask questions about their money and maybe... Well, I think... I think people, and this is everyone, I mean, a lot of people fit into this category. I think people, they kind of got used to seeing their their accounts grow, yeah. you know, pretty much every year for for almost 10 years. And yeah. now all of a sudden, you know, we've, we've had it, we've had a, you know, a bad year where, you know, they, you know, particularly after 2017, you know, they saw, they might've seen their money grow a lot. And, yep. the, you know, and they're like, wow, you know, they felt really good, you know, seeing, you know, seeing a big, you know, a big number, um, you know, on the bottom line and then to watch it, you know, um, go down, you know, that's, that's hard. That's a hard thing to, to swallow. And I think people get, get nervous and they, or they, they don't like, you know, it, a, a loss feels a lot more, you know, it, it feels a lot worse than, than a gain. Um, and I think people get, get, start to get nervous. Of course. Um, I was just pulling some. I was just trying to pull some statistics. One of the things we wanted to do this morning is to sort of put things into perspective for people. We're pretty good about doing that um, when we have turbulence in the markets. I don't have the exact number, but I think that the market is down. The U.S. market, it, it reached a high in September of 2018. And I think it's actually Friday, we had a little bit of a rally. But I think it's, maybe you can confirm this, Kirk. I think it's down about 15% from its high in September. Maybe you can sort of- That's um, approximately correct, yeah. Confirm that. But to give people a little bit of perspective, 
the calendar year return for the S&P 500, which is like a proxy for the United States stock market, um, the calendar year 2018 return was down 4.23%, I, th- I think. And so, so yes, we had a 15% drop after an 11% run up in 2018. So the calendar year return is down 4%, which like isn't, you know, we've, we've certainly had more significant drops and we, and we could in the future have more significant drops in that market. So, so, you know, a little bit of perspective, I think helps people. Sure. Is so it down about 15? Well, so like, so the S&P 500 over the past three months, it's down about 12% okay. just in the past three months. But if you go back, you know, six months, it's down 8%, you know, so not as much. Yeah. And if you go back, well, if you go back a year, it's about 8%. But then if you go back two years, you know, the farther you go step back, so go back two years, you're positive 11%. And so, you know, the farther you step back, you know, typically you start getting into into good numbers, good positive numbers. Yeah, I think we're down, we were down about 15 and then we had a little bit of a rally on Friday. Right. I think Fr- we were up a couple percent. So now we're down 13% from the high. But again, calendar year return for 20 for the S&P 500 was down 4%. It's really not all that much to panic about. I went and I pulled some historical data um, regarding returns of the S&P 500 and also returns of international stocks. Again, just to give a little bit of perspective. So um, we don't need, I'm not going to rattle off a whole bunch of numbers, but I looked I looked back at the S&P um, for about, well, I found some research that said for the 92 years ending in 2017, so this doesn't include 2018, mm-hmm. but not, hold on, I have to find the exact uh statistic here. I have so many windows open when I prepare for the show that sometimes I can't find when I... Okay, here we go. For the 92 years ending in ending December 31, 17. So this goes from 2026... I'm sorry, <laughs> 1926 to 2017. All right. So 92 years worth of returns for the S&P 500, the U.S. stock market... 68 of those years had a positive return, which is 74% of the time there was a positive return of the S&P 500. 24 of those years or 26% of the time had a negative return. What we don't know from that is how negative was negative. Negative can be a percent or negative can be 37%. Um, We don't know what the range is, but but we don't know all the information. So more than two, almost three quarters of the time in the last... Well, I guess we have to add one more year if we go through 18. So 68 of the last 93 years of of the S&P 500 performance, have it, it has had a positive return. Do so ha- three quarters of the time, we're looking at a positive return than the S&P 500 with, for almost 100 years worth of data. Go ahead. Do you, have, do you have the average rate of return there over that time frame or no? Um. This particular research gave me at they they just looked at the positives and gave me the average for the positives, which is okay, ridiculous. The and then overall. they looked at right, they didn't okay. give you. Um, but you know, we we have lots of charts in our office. The Ibbotson chart, for example, that goes back to twenty six, and that's probably it's like an eleven percent per year. Around, return yeah, around ten percent like per year. Yeah, yeah roughly. Yeah. It's a low double digit return for a very very long period of time. Then I went and I looked at more recent years. Right, so I mean. 
there's a couple ways to look at the data. What's happened over a long time is is informative, but what what's happened in the relatively recent past is also informative. So then I pulled 30 years worth of returns of the S&P 500 or the U.S. stock market through calendar 18. So this is 1988 through 18. I guess actually that's 31 years. Six, oh, I should have asked you to guess. Yeah. Six of those years posted a negative return for the S&P 500. Out of 30. So six out of 31 years in the last 31 years, we've seen a negative return. That's a that's pretty low. That's mm-hmm. 20% of the time or 80% of the time we've seen a positive return in the S&P. So again, you know, what you what just just um just with that information we don't have the the real picture which is well how negative is negative, right? But the other, you know, um side of that is well how positive is positive. But, you know, out of those six negative returning years in the last 31 We've had a down four. I'm sorry, down the S&P was down 4.38 last year. I think I said 4.2. 4.38. So we've had a down four. We've had a down three. We've had a down nine. So not too shabby. And then we've had some more significant ones, down 11.8, down 22, and down 37. That was 2008. Um, average return of the S&P for that 31-year period of time, the most recent 31 years, is 11.6%. Um, so that's just meant to be a little bit of perspective for people, right? To, it's, you know, market downturns, um, the longer they last, the more panic they cause. But if you think big picture and long term, and if you're an investor, you, you are hopefully, if you're an investor in the stock market anyway, you're, you hopefully have a long time horizon and, um, and, and just bear in mind um, that perspective. I also did a similar exercise for international stocks because while we hear about the U.S. stock market on the news by far most frequently. That's really only part of the picture, um, because because at least with our clients anyway, we would recommend a globally diverse portfolio that would have stock exposure internationally as well as domestically. And in our portfolios anyway, sometimes close to half of the stock exposure is international. So that's an important um, statistic as well. If we look back at um, there, there's one index for international stocks of developed countries. It's called the MSCI EFI index. And it's like a proxy for the performance of, um, of stocks in developed countries overseas, not including the United States. And it, it does not include emerging markets, this particular index. So I found um, 49 years worth of returns for for international stocks mm-hmm. going back to 1970. This was through calendar 18. Um, average return in that 49-year period of time was very close to U.S. stocks. So while U.S. stocks, again, the, this isn't exactly apples to apples because we had 31 years of data for U.S. and the average was 116 I, I here have, actually, I could do that. Hey, let's do an apples to apples, Kirk. We have okay. a spreadsheet. We, <laughs> spreadsheets are really good at calculating things. Okay, so a, apples to apples comparison, 31 years of US stock returns, 11.6. Different number for international stock returns, 31 year average, 6.8. Mm. But if you go out 49 years with international stocks, so before 1988, you have some really strong numbers there. 
and the average return is 10.6 over 49 years. So very comparable to US stock return, but different in the last 30 year period of time. Did you have a question? I don't question, have a, comment, concern? I don't have a question. I was just, um, I was pulling up one of those JP Morgan, uh, the intra-year declines versus calendar year returns. Yeah. I thought that was kind of, that's an interesting, um, Oh yeah, that's a good chart. One. It's just yeah. we're talking about that. Um, so there's a if you go if you go back and look through history, you know we're talking about you know we're talking about you know not panicking uh, during a downturn uh, because you know there are going to be downturns um, and you know that they, they, they happen. Um, but if you go backwards and you kind of look at what they've done historically, again, you know, kind of providing some some perspective. So uh, I'm looking at a chart here that goes back to, let's see, goes back to 1980. Uh, This particular one, this particular one is not quite up to date. It goes through like 2016 or 2017. Yeah. And so what it does, so each year it shows, you know, it shows the, you know, the calendar year return, but then it also shows, you know, the lowest it got during that year. Uh, so, for example, let's see. Um, What's the name of that so people can Google it if they want to look at it? So, yeah. So, if you Google, uh, you know, S&P 500 intra-year declines versus calendar year returns. Okay. And I know J.P. Morgan. J.P. Morgan is the one that, um, that we've typically they cited. They just produce that chart, but they, yeah. I think there are, yeah. there are other ones that, that will come up, but that's the one that, that I'm looking at as uh, a J.P. Morgan. So, for example, um, let's see, what year is this? Uh, It's hard to tell because it doesn't, uh, but it looks like it's 1991, I think. I'm just picking one randomly. So, at some point in the calendar year 1991, the S&P 500 was down 6% for the year. So, at its its, its lowest. However, if you you didn't do anything uh, and you just sat there, at the end, you know, for the calendar year, you actually ended up a positive 26%. Yeah. So, you know, at some point during the year, you go, oh man, I'm down 6%. Uh, and you pan, you know, if you don't panic, you don't do anything, you ended up, you know, earning 26% for the year. Yeah. That's just, that's just one example. I um, mean, and, the, and calendar 18 is a, is a good example of that as well, because here we were at the end of December down 15%, but we finished down 4.38. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, right. there's, there, there is all, pretty much always, unless we have the worst day on December 31, there's pretty much always a difference in a good way between the worst day of the year and right. how we finish on 1231. Not that a calendar year return in and of itself is incredibly important, but I do think it helps people achieve perspective when it comes to thinking about well, their money. The fact the fact that you could be down, you know, fairly significantly and, and have it turn around, you know, within the course of a year is, you know, is, is significant. Yeah. Um, you know, because when when you're down, you know, you feel you feel stressed out. You you, you know, you feel anxious. Uh, but but there's a you know there's a you know historically speaking, there's a fairly good chance uh, it's not going to end up you know as bad as as a ba- as bad as it currently is. Um, speaking of emotions, yeah. I wanted to talk about um, the cycle of emotions chart, oh. and I know you know what I'm talking about. But I found a really really awesome one. So if anybody wants to look at this. Um, just Google the cycle of market emotions. 
This particular one is the cycle of market emojis. Oh, nice. And it is really, it's really cool. It's, it's, um, this happens to be a Forbes.com article and the author was Rob Isbitts, I-S-B-I-T-T-S. And he did, I think it was him, um, or, or within his article, he inserted this cycle of market emotions but he used emojis um, to do it so it's really kind of it's really funny and we've seen lots of variations of this in our in our uh, world <clears throat> I generally speaking what your um, your emotional reaction regarding what you should do with your money is usually the wrong one and I say that all the time it, you know generally speaking don't listen to your gut when it comes to your money listen to your brain because your brain will usually tell you to do the right thing and your emotions will, will tell you to do the wrong thing um, but this chart shows like in, in, a, in a bull market, which is the good one. So when the market is rising, we first have optimism, which is like the praying hands. And then we have excitement, which is the smiley face. And then we have thrill. And then we have at the very top as, as the bull market continues, we have euphoria, which is like the happy face with the dollar sign eyes and like a, a dollar <laughs> bill coming out of someone's mouth. So, so we get to euphoria after we've had a bull market for a long time calendar 2017 was probably a really good example. Well, actually hindsight is, you know, we know in hindsight 2017 um, was, was the, was, uh, you know, after we had nine years of a run up and then, right. we, and, and then, then a great a 2017 people. Yeah. People are feeling good. Right. So we have euphoria and then as what, what your, what your gut will tell you toward the top or at the top of the market after we've had, you know, a long uh, period of good returns is, um, let's invest more money. Right. Let's. It's so easy to make money. Um, I'm just gonna put. You know, I don't need to hold a bunch of cash. Cash isn't earning anything. It's so easy to achieve a return in the markets, and so so that's what your emotion. That's what your gut is telling you, and unfortunately, that's oftentimes the wrong thing. You know, if you invest your money um, at the at the top, well, you never know when the top is. But if you invest your money after a long run up, yeah, it might continue. But at some point, it's it's going to turn because markets don't continue on an upward tilting path indefinitely. Markets are cyclical all throughout history. At least they have been, and we would assume that that would continue. So, but this chart of emojis is really cool because th- then when we have like the top of the market or the peak, right, and then we we start to see a turn, the wave starts to dip. The other way, then we have complacency, which is kind of like the unsure face. And then we have anxiety. Then we have denial. And then we have fear, which is like the, you know, the the the, the ghost face with like he's grabbing his face and the big white eyes. And then we have panic, which is the, the green, like I'm going to throw up face. And then we have anger, you know, the angry face at the very bottom. Um, is, there a, is there a poop one? There. <laughs> Kirk, how old are you? I mean, honestly, how old are can you? Can I say that? Uh, I can say that, right? Can we, uh, are, do we have a time delay here? Can we go back and cut that? Poop, oh, my poop's goodness. Poop's okay. It's, it's the, it's the oh other my term. Goodness. Okay. The yeah. emoji. Okay. Well, that's like one of the most popular emojis. And um, I can just picture that on a chart, you know. But this chart is really cool. It's called the cycle of market emojis. You could probably just Google it. This one happens to be in a Forbes.com article. It's just, it's really, it's funny. But, you know, what, what, what your emotions will tell you toward the, bottom of a market or after a period of time when we've had a downturn, your emotions might be telling you this now after we've had a, a, a bit of a dip in the market or, or if this continues, certainly your emotions will um, maybe start telling you to panic and and, your, and some people's gut reaction is 
I'm going to stop the bleeding. I I don't want my I don't want to lose any more of my money. And we always talk about okay, well, there's a difference between a temporary loss and a permanent loss. And when you sell and go to cash or go to bonds or or whatever, then you're making your temporary loss a permanent one. So your behavior is a huge factor in your. Oh, we hear a really weird beeping in here, Tim. Do you hear that? Oh. I don't know what that was. Anyway, um, your behavior is a huge factor in your financial success, I guess. In and I was, I would define that partially anyway by the return of your money, and 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 you can only achieve return if you're invested in the market, right? If you're invested in in cash, you're you're going to achieve maybe a very minimal return that isn't actually growing your wealth because af- because after we take away taxes and inflation, then that's not a real what we call a real return in our world. Um, so Google that chart. It's really it's really cool. And when when your when the emoji says um, to panic and or to be angry, um, close your eyes, cross your fingers, stop looking at your statements, have faith in the future, um, because all throughout history, anyway, every single bear market, which is the bad one, has been followed by the good market, which is the bull. Um, go ahead. Um, so my, you know, my favorite uh, chart uh, that kind of mirrors that in a way is you know it's like a you know a cyclical type chart you know a, you know a, an it's up, a wave a yeah a wave a, a wave that's like yep. a sine wave yeah yep. a peaks and troughs oh a sine wave yes, wow right? yeah. wow we just uh, thrown out some yeah some and uh wave. so you know at the top at the top of the at the top of the wave it says you know greed slash yeah. slash yep. buy yeah right just which is what you just said you know people right. you know things have gone well great i'm gonna buy some more uh, people feel, you know, people feel confident, right? And and so they buy, and then and then things turn, and then they go down, and then at the bottom they get they get scared, they get anxious, you know, fear yeah. slash sell, and right. that's you know, that's what it says at the bottom, right? Right? They don't do those things, right? And then the chart goes, you know, the chart just basically does that, and then at the end it says, you know, repeat until broke, right? Uh, right. And it, and it's you know I, it's right. you know it's one of my favorite charts. It's so simple, um, and yet. You know, people unfortunately sometimes do those things um, because it's, as you said, that's kind of that's what your you know your your head you know tells you to do, um, and it's it's not it's not the right thing, but but unfortunately it happens. People have poor behavior all the time in the world of tra- investing in traditional investments. I think it it's this point is really hammered home, if you will, if you think about it in terms of real estate. So think about if you had a real estate property, let's say let's say you had an investment property. And let's say we were in the middle of a real estate downturn and your investment property is worth $100,000 less than it was a year ago. And let's say you're panic in the world of real estate, generally speaking, you wouldn't um that that temporary or that downward fluctuation in the value of your real estate wouldn't cause you to sell it and then buy the same exact house back a year or two or three later when the value was higher. Right. So that, of course you wouldn't do that, right? I mean, in real estate downturns, you know, unfortunately there are times when people have to sell their homes. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if you have like a, a piece of real estate and you think and you're going to sell it because you think it's going to go down further and then you're going to buy it back 
when when the when the price has gone back up. I mean, of course, it's not as easy in real estate because real estate transactions are much more difficult than than trading on the market. But, but but it makes sense. Like you would never do that in real estate, but people do it all the time in the world of investing, right. where they sell stuff because they think it's going to go down further, and then they buy it back when it's recovered and doesn't make and, and you you buy back fewer shares and you don't allow your money to recover or work hard for you. Anyway, we digress a little bit. I wanted to wrap up this topic, which is our first of our New Year's financial revolutions, which will I, be, I will, which is I will behave appropriately when it comes to my investments. And by that, I, we mean uh, uh, don't panic at the bottom and don't get greedy at the top, essentially. Um, I thought of like some common questions that we get related to this. And one of them is people ask us, um, almost daily, what do you think the market will do? And my answer is, I don't know. I mean, you know, I listen to lots of economists, and 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 I and I I I, I um, take all that stuff seriously, and and um, listen to their predictions about where the economy is going or the global economy, and I listen to, um, you know, I pay attention to what's going on in the political world. Um, but what the market does does not always make sense given what's going on short in, term. The, in the geological environment. Yeah, correct. Short term. Short term. Um, and so, you know, the market is a culmination of emotions of people that are trading on the market. I saw a statistic not long ago. I was trying to figure out of the trading that happens in the market, what percent of the trades are executed by people and what percent of the trades are executed by um, computers because there are you know large financial institutions that program their bots to you know watch trends in the market and, and place transactions as a result. And I think the last statistic I saw that it was like, 50% of the trading on the market is done by people and people act emotionally. Bots don't act emotionally. They look at data, but people act emotionally. Um, and so, and so that's, that's a, I think that's a significant enough percentage of the trading to indicate that what happens in the market is largely due to people's emotions and people being pessimistic will drive the market down and people being optimistic will do the exact opposite. Um, and the, and I know we'll take a break here in a couple minutes, but you know, the other question that I get very frequently is, well, it's kind of two, two same question, but in a different market environment right now, you know, I might get the question, is this a good time to invest or said differently in a, perhaps a different type of a market? Is this a good time to, you know, take some of my money out of the market, right? So um, sort of a market timing type question that right. nobody will ever admit they're asking a market timing type question. Um, so, you know, is this a good time to invest? My general answer is like, it's always a good time to invest because we already established that two thirds to three quarters of the time, we're going to have positive markets, whether right. you're looking at daily or, so, or annually, we're so going to have positive markets at so some you, point. You could, bluntly, you could bluntly say there's a 70% chance that it's, yes, it's a good yes. time to invest. <laughs> right. Um, and I, you know, of course I go into a longer discussion regarding if you're nervous about investing, if we, if you think that the market is going to continue to go down, let's invest a chunk now, let's invest another chunk later, let's invest another chunk after that. So you're sort of 
anticipating that you're going to get a more and more and more attractive share price as the market continues to go down, which is a good thing, getting attractive when the market trends downward, Mm -hmm. that presents buying opportunities. So people that are nervous might feel better not investing the whole thing right now because it it is painful to invest and then immediately see a decline in value. That's not why you invest money. You invest money to earn money. Um, but you know, of course, we have to think long term. But short term, it is hard to see an immediate decline. But we can we can um, address that by um, investing in chunks over time if people are pessimistic about the market. But I think, generally speaking situationally dependent, it's almost always a good time to invest if you're saving for your future goal, whatever that might be. Um, and whether or not it's a good time to cash out, I would never I would never make that call based on market performance. I that whether or not someone takes cash out of their investments, for me, in most situations, is situationally dependent. Well, are you going to need cash from your portfolio soon? Um, do you need money for something, you know, and you don't have the cash for it already? So situationally speaking, for me, that would determine whether or not it's a good time to take cash out of the portfolio. I would certainly never um, recommend that it's a good time to take all of the cash out be- because we would try to call the market. I, I would never pretend to be able to predict the market. All right, let's wrap up that first segment of our New Year's resolutions, which which is I will behave appropriately when it comes to my investments. I do behave appropriately when it comes to my investments, or at least I have always. But I mean, for our listeners, I was hope we would hope we were hoping to instill that New Year's resolution in you. Um, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about our second of four financial New Year's resolutions. I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed, and we'll be right back. Hi, this is Mike McNamara. How do you find a financial advisor that you can trust and who will take good care of you? Not easy. We would suggest that you listen to McNamara on Money on Saturday mornings here on WATD from 8 to 10 a.m. It's an easy way to get to know our family of four financial advisors who are also certified financial planner practitioners. 781-834-2010 or McNamaraFinancial.com. The latest on local, state, and national news every morning and afternoon. Trusted names, dependable information. 95.9 WATD. This is Kirk Reed with McNamara Financial. What's the best investment strategy for you? Well, depends on your age, risk tolerance, and a number of other things. Give me a call and let's talk about your situation. 781-834-2010 or check out McNamaraFinancial.com. This is 95.9 WATD in Marshfield, Massachusetts, the South Shores radio station. You are listening to McNamara on Money. Please give us a call at 781-837-4900 with your questions or comments. Okay, Alyssa, let's get back to business. Forgive the delay. We are having technical difficulties with the um, with the video cameras and the audio. But good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money on 95.9 WATD. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and we're talking this morning about new year, new you from a financial point of view anyway. Pardon that pause. That was not Tim's fault. He was in here trying to help us with our, um, with our technical difficulties in here, so we apologize for that. Um, 
We're talking about New Year's resolutions from a financial point of view. Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you're enjoying this rainy day. Oh, <laughs> Can't even say it's like a nice sunny day outside, but I um, hope you're enjoying this lovely day inside it, with your cup of coffee. And At least it's not snowing. That's, oh no, I would, Shh. I would much prefer snow over Sorry, this. Sorry, did I, I just... That I just release release something. Oh. You know well, what I think say? about it this you, way: for every inch of rain we have, it's ten inches of snow. Oh, is that right? Mm-hmm. You know what I say to people who complain about the snow? You live in New England. Exactly. Mo- leave yes. if you don't yep. like the snow. I yep. go on vacation or move out. Yeah. I <laughs> I would much prefer this time of year. I would much prefer snow than rain because I yeah. because snow is so muddy and brown and it's not pretty to look at at least on a snowy day it's like beautiful and white and it's mm-hmm. like serene and yeah you just want to be one with nature and like run around with the squirrels <laughs> no, <I don't>. okay <laughs> yeah. i took it i crossed the line yeah. I, I, there was a line and i crossed it yeah um she's getting nutty with the squirrels that yeah that line of tangency if, is yeah. if for anyone that knows me they know that i have a deep love for animals and we have several animals of several species in our home and we love it and the kids love it it's it's mostly for the kids but it's partially for me <laughs> and you know who's the best our rabbit he is the best he's so soft and fluffy and he hops around the house like a dog and he's like the best and he doesn't bark and he goes on his little he he does his business where he's supposed to. He's a, he's but he a great ruins little a lot of things. He does chew wires. We've had to protect a lot of wires. Mm-hmm. But he hasn't ruined a whole lot other than that. That was valuable anyway. We digress. Uh, we're talking about New Year's resolutions, financially speaking anyway. Our first was I will behave appropriately when it comes to my investments. And mm-hmm. by that we meant um, not allowing panic to cause you to make a mistake, i.e. i.e. sell at the wrong time, only to buy back at at a, at a better time in the markets but a worse time to buy back because share prices are harder or I'm, I'm sorry higher and um, not allowing uh, greed to drive your behavior in good markets meaning you're assuming markets will continue forever and maybe you take more risk than you should yeah can That's I, what I, meant can by I that. just you know just one sort of summary thought is um, you know don't let don't let the markets dictate your investment strategy you know you you know you if you either you do it by yourself or you work with with somebody an advisor and you determine you know an appropriate strategy that strategy it it doesn't doesn't it's doesn't guarantee you know growth every year it guarantees a long term you can't say guarantee what <laughs> don't say guarantee you can't I said it that. doesn't I said oh it, you said it doesn't guarantee it doesn't guarantee it doesn't guarantee growth every year yeah the strategy is you know based upon you know what you agree will accomplish hopefully accomplish your goals over 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 the you know the specified time period mm-hmm. doesn't doesn't mean it's going to be you know a, a great year every year but over the long run you know you should have more you know better year you know more more good years than bad and that and that's built into the built into the plan yeah um so don't you know if you have a bad year that doesn't mean you need to change your strategy. That's not, you know, that's that's already been built into the into the the, the projections. Um, so, you know, if something if something in your life has changed, uh, you know, then then maybe you know it's it warrants a discussion about your your strategy. But just because the markets have gone up or down doesn't doesn't necessarily mean it's time to change your strategy. Right. Absolutely. Strategy changes should be situationally dependent, not driven by markets. Our second New Year's resolution f- is I will 
I will let my goals determine my savings, not my unmonitored surplus of cash, if even existent. I, I was kind of long-winded. I was trying to make it shorter, but I couldn't figure out how to make it shorter and to the point. I guess, I mean, certainly we're going to elaborate on what we mean by that, but it basically means most people, the way that they save, people don't, I guess, let me back up. People don't generally approach saving money the way that they should. The way that I think most people save is that they just sort of proceed through their life. They spend dollars without necessarily much thought for the big picture or or the long term. And then if there's anything left over at the end of the month or the quarter or the year, then that's what's saved. We're going to talk about how you should, we think that, you know, the, the most prudent and, and um, responsible way to approach saving is to first set your goals, which will determine how much you should be saving to achieve your goals in the in the stated period of time, which is determined by you. And then, you know, start tucking that money away because because it will allow you to meet your goals. And then you spend what's less, le- what's left. Excuse me. Um. So, <clears throat> you know, the 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 people that do it that way that define their goals first force themselves to save the amounts that they should be saving and then spend what's left. You know, that's certainly the that's certainly the harder of the two. You know, depending on how much your income is, if you have just like way more income than you need, that then the then the first um the first way to save is probably okay, but most people aren't in a situation where they just have like tons of money left over that right. they don't know what to do with. You right. know, that's great if you do. That's ra- very rare. Um, yeah. But the maybe, you know, just the, the people that we work with are the people that kind of need help. So we're seeing so we're seeing people that, you know, might make great money, but they're looking for help with regards to, um, you know, the most prudent way to, to save it and where to put it. And, and, you know, life costs money, especially if you uh, own real estate in this part of the world and have kids that might, and, and that might want to go to, co- that go will go to college to boot and, and you'll help them with it. So mm-hmm. um, I always... So that's kind of what I meant by that, that that I think it's important to let your goals determine how much you save and not just like save whatever's left over and that and that'll have to be good enough and then I'll deal with the consequences later, which I think is yeah. what most what unfortunately most people do because it's a lot of work to pay att- to set goals and to pay attention. Sure. Oh, I uh, thought you had something to say. Well, just on that point about, you know, kind of uh, doing what you you know, making it kind of secondary. It's kind of in the it's kind of in the background, and then uh, unfortunately, when when people get serious about it, sometimes it's too late. Um, yeah. And so it's just, you know, if you know from a so if your financial resolution, uh, um, you know, should be if if you're if you're not if you're not saving anything, just start just save something even if it's small uh, because. You know, just it's going to start. You know, it's going to grow. It's going to compound, and that's the best thing you can do for yourself is just get started. Yep. Even if it's small. One of the when we do the Smart with Money Fair with the Marshfield High School kids, which we will talk about in great detail in a few weeks. I'm so excited because the fair is coming up at the end of January this year. One, of, I, 
I think last year I broke down the fair itself into f- it was either four or five like learning objectives. Um, for me, I could just talk and talk and talk about all the things that you know the the students should know. But I, I tried to get really focused last year, and I boiled it down to like, this is what I want you to take away. You know, and and I guess we've done that every year, but last year I got pretty formal with it, and I had a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> um, one of them is, and again, I don't really. This probably isn't the best way to explain it, but one of my learning objectives for the high school kids, which really is for everyone, is don't spend money in a vacuum. Which means the best way for me to explain this is like. If your take-home pay is $4,000 a month and you want to buy a car and the payment is $600 a month, $600 is significantly less than $4,000, so you can afford that, right? But that's what, I mean, that's what, that's how most people might approach that. Mm -hmm. Or young, you know, especially students. Like I think the students not having the experience, the real world experience yet would certainly approach it in that regard. But one of the things we teach them as they go through the fair is that's just one of probably 40 or 50 things that you might have to spend money on in the course of your everyday being an adult. And once you factor in all those other things, can you really afford that? And it, and it, the answer is it depends. Right. And that's, that's, you know, in your example, that's 15% of your, of your monthly budget. Right. Which you, some people could look at that and say, well, that's a small percentage. And some people might look at that and say, it's a large percent, large percentage. Mm-hmm. It depends on where, where else you need to spend your dollars. So that's like, I don't know how else to say that other than don't spend money in a vacuum, which just means you know, you, you need to know the big picture and where all the other money has to go before you can determine which of it's like a puzzle I guess and and all your expenses are pieces of the puzzle and they all have to fit and you you know you can't have extra pieces to the puzzle they won't they won't fit and that's the people that have extra pieces to the puzzle in the real world life of financial they have debt and that's not um, that's not good behavior to get into certainly for young adults you know just starting out for anybody but you don't want to build those bad habits poor habits uh, at the beginning and I think I think an important uh, an important line item in everybody's budget that that doesn't necessarily show up on a standard you know uh, standard budget or, or a template should be, uh, you know, miscellaneous. Yeah. Unknown. Missile. You know, emergency. I mean, there because yeah. there's, there's stuff that there's things that come up. Well, coffee. It, every like, well, you just spent four dollars at Starbucks. <laughs> it was three ninety one. Come on, Starbucks. <laughs> Can you just go to Dunkin' Donuts? It was, it was where a big it's one. It was a big one. It was a big one. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, little little things that you don't think about. Yeah. That that add up. But then there's also things that that you can't control, you know, um, uh, you know, car, you know, car needs repairs. Um, you need a new washing machine. Um, 
you know, yeah, you, you, you could go, it could, it could go on offer. and on and on. Yeah. And so if you max out your budget on, on everything else and then something like this comes up, which inevitably it will. Like you forget something. Yeah. Yeah. You, you're going to have an issue. Um, I like to call that my buffer or my fudge. Okay. Well, not necessarily fudge. That's a little bit different, but like a, bu- yeah, like a miscellaneous or a sort of a buffer. Like if I missed by something Yeah. and, and having a buffer. And that, that could easily, and that could easily be five to 10% of your monthly budget, Yeah, I, I would think. Yeah, I would think um, so. I would say you need to build yep. that in or else, you know, people, you know, people, that's how people get into trouble is they, they, they max out their budget, you know, on, on a car, you know, on cars and, and a house and, and whatever else. And they don't leave any, any space for, for these unknown things. Yeah. One of the most common question, well, uh, let me back up a minute and then I'm going to get to a couple of common questions that we get. But what we, I think what we want people to take out of this New Year's resolution is to start thinking about the amount that you're saving and making sure it lines up with your goals. And don't just um, save X dollars or X percent of your paycheck monthly because that's all that's left over without really thinking about where you where you spent the rest of your money. Of course, people are limited with how much with regards to how much they can save because life costs money and there's only so much that you know there are certain mandatory expenses of course, housing and food and taking care of the kids and all that stuff. Um, my, but my point is you should at least think about it and be cognizant and try to set your goals, your savings goals first before um, you spend money in in other categories. And, you know, it's never perfect and things change and you might try to save a thousand bucks a month and you find out that you can't and you have to alter it and that's okay. These things are fluid. Um, but, but you know, starting somewhere and starting to pay attention to making sure that your savings amounts line up with your goals. Biggest one being like, I want to retire at some point, probably, you know, if you're like most people early to mid sixties, like a normal retirement age. And another huge financial goal for people is college, making sure you're saving enough so that you can, you, you, if you, if you intend to help the kids pay for college, that you, that you can meet those goals. Um, you know, the most common, one of the most common questions I get is how do I put together a budget? I think people are looking for like a magical, simple solution. And my answer is you just do it. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, but you just sit down and do it. There are a myriad of ways you can do it. You can put together a spreadsheet. You can use an app. You can use a software program like QuickBooks or Quicken. You can uh, write it down in a spiral bound notebook. I mean, you just have to do it. You, I mean, you need to know some numbers like what's my take home pay um, and you know, sometimes factoring in a tax return or if you owe it tax time, it, it, if those are big numbers, factor that in. If not, don't worry about it. Um, yeah. But you yeah. know, you, it's like, I think people kind of want, some, some people come to us and they kind of want me to do it for them. Not that I can't put together a budget using, using um, my common knowledge, but, but I don't know their preferences. I don't know what, they value and where they where they um, spend their money. I don't know how much they need to spend on groceries to feed their family. Like, so, so, so I think, you know, honestly, unfor- and unfortunately, the answer is like you just have to sit down and spend some time and and do it. Um, I think the easiest way to do it is do the easy stuff first: the mortgage, uh, the cable bill, uh, the car payment, 
you know, homeowner's insurance, like do the easy stuff that's regular and fixed. And, and, then and necessity back, and necessities. And the necessities. Yeah. And then you back into, and then, and then you just make your best guess on the stuff that varies like groceries and like, um, dining out, you know, and those are things that, that if you start writing the numbers down, sometimes when people just write down the numbers, like they go back and they look at what they spent on dining out in the last six months, for example, sometimes it makes them have that vomit emoji face that we were talking about <laughs> earlier. Like there, there, some people just don't, um, realize and, um, it's a good exercise to go through just for motivational reasons, but it also is. so it allows you to set goals and, 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 and get on a path to achieve those goals. Um, then, then, uh, another common question I get, and I'm sure you get the same regarding this topic is how much should I be saving? And I sort of, <laughs> our general response would be like, well, I need more information. It depends on your situation, but I kind of wanted to actually give people some answers today and maybe give them some rough guidelines. So here's my compliance disclosure. Um, meet with your own advisor if you have one or come meet with one of us and give us some detailed information and we'll give you some exact some exact savings targets. But I, I, I sort of just wanted to give some very general ballparks numbers today with the disclosure that it really does depend and it's a, an, an individualized recommendation. So how much should I be saving? 15%-ish of your gross income. We're um, talking about for retirement. I'm talking about for retirement. Thank you for, for clarifying retirement. that. Yes, I am talking about retirement. Specifically for retirement. Right. For college, 50%. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, for emergencies. No, I'm sorry about <laughs> yeah, t- yeah, so you I'm should sorry. just be saving all of your money. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I'm th- I, thank you for clarifying. I'm talking about for retirement. How much should you save? My starting point to answer it is 15% of your gross salary. One five. One five. If you are older than 35 or 40 and you really haven't saved anything much at all for retirement, then it should be more than that. Maybe it needs to be 20%. Maybe it needs, maybe it ideally it's a little bit higher. Again, you know, yep. people are going to be like, well, I can't do that. But, back, you know, I'm, back, just, I'm just trying to, I'm back just trying to. Back to my get, point earlier about the, yeah. the earlier you start, the better, even if it's right. small, because that, that'll help you down the, down the road that you won't have to ramp it up as much. Right. Uh, if, yeah. So, so 15%-ish, but we're going to say, okay, if you're getting a late start, and I, I think I'm going to define late as young as like 35 or certainly 40, I, mean, I think it's, is getting a pretty late start with regards to saving for retirement. Yeah. I mean, theoretically, you know, you're out, you're out of college around, you know, 22-ish, plus or minus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, a lot of kids you know, probably have some student loan debts that they're probably working on uh, when they first get out of school. So they may yeah. or may not be able to, to save, you know, for retirement. Um, but but even so, if, you know, if, if they get a job, you know, right away and, you know, if, if, if it's the, you know, a typical type of job where maybe there's a, you know, a 401k involved, if there's an employer match, if they could at least put in whatever, whatever it takes to get the match, and, and and then and then work on their student loans. You know that would be that would be great. Um, so so that not necessarily that they have to be putting ten or fifteen percent away, but you know if they could put a little bit away, and especially if they're if there's a match involved, um, 
you know, that would be good. Yeah. One of my caveats was going to be if you're starting out at a good young age, like right out of college, I don't necessarily think your target needs to be 15. Like if you did 10, 12% of your salary starting at age 22 and you did it forever and and it increased as your salary increased over time. You'd probably be in pretty good shape. You'd probably be in pretty good shape. So so that, you know, the 15 was kind of just like a rough number. Um, and if you're starting young and you'll be real diligent, then maybe it can be lower and that'll be okay. And, and if you're starting later, it should be higher. I also think... Um, Again, these are just really rough. Don't hold me to these, anybody, but I just wanted to sort of, um, you know, based on experience and things that I've seen, give people some guidance. And I, you know, I was also thinking about, well, this stuff, this stuff does depend on your level of income too. I mean, which makes sense because your level of income determines your lifestyle. Most of the time, your life, people's lifestyles um, would, would, better as their income grows. That's not always the case. There are certainly people whose income grows and their lifestyle doesn't grow and then they have a, you know, greater and greater surpluses and and are really good savers. Um, but, you know, like real ballpark, I, I just was thinking like if, if you are earning, this sort of lines up with the percentages we were just talking about, the 15-ish percent, but if you're earning, whether you're a single or Let's pretend it's a single person. If you're if you make one hundred and fifty thousand dollars or more, you should roughly be maxing your four hundred one k, assuming you have a four hundred one k at work. The new four hundred one k savings limits for somebody under fifty is nineteen thousand a year. You're going to confirm that that's for, correct. They just changed them. You're going to confirm that. Yeah, for twenty nineteen, right? it is nineteen thousand. That's the new max. Yeah. So if you're making one hundred and fifty thousand dollars or more, and you're under fifty. Or close to fifty, or you know, somewhere in the thirty-five to fifty range. Hopefully, you can max a four hundred one k. That's a, that would be like a really good target. And here's a good, you know, here's a good note on that. Um, so we talked about, you know, how much you should be, you know, percentage-wise, we should put, be putting away, which is a rough, a rough estimate. Yeah. And so, so let's say, let's say you do max out your four hundred one k, but you haven't hit your ten percent or your fifteen percent. You know, if you if you make a lot of money. Oh yeah, yeah. You sh- you should you should be putting money away on top of that. Right. If if you know if your goal is to basically kind of maintain your current lifestyle in retirement. Right. Um, just because you know the IRS says that's the most you can put into a retirement plan doesn't mean you can't save some more money. Right. Um, you know, so you can, you know, you can put it in the bank, you can open up a, you know, a brokerage account, you know, that's, that's not a retirement account, but continue to invest, you know, more dollars above and beyond your 401k. Yep. That's, that's my next bullet point. Sorry. <sighs> Take that out. Yeah. Just put in Alyssa's Just words. No. <laughs> um, no, that was exactly my last bullet point that, you know, if earnings are more significant, then there are other options outside of retirement plans, not all of them as tax efficient as a retirement plan, but right. certainly are other options for but, saving but still dollars. still well and, worth it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, anything else on that? It's about time for our, for our next break. Uh, I um, do. Okay. If, if, under, uh, under, uh, last few comments regarding our New Year's resolution of, I will let my goals determine my savings, not my unmonitored surplus if existent. So I can do this kind of quick, but um, you know, people, a lot of people will ask, have I saved enough? You know, mm-hmm. and so, 
you know, so I found, and there are, there are many of these out there, but they have sort of rough guidelines, you know, for how much you should have saved by certain time frames. Yeah. And so I found one. I was just going to go through it real quick. Um, oh, I don't like these. But you don't yeah. like these? Well, I, I, we went over one before and I, I didn't like it. This is a different one. Okay. Um, because yeah, some are, you know, we looked at one where it was seemed fairly aggressive, um, but so this one is from, it's from You you don't want to depress too many people here on January. Well, it's just a time frame. Um, well, maybe it's a motivational thing. True, true. Uh, so this one is from time.com. Uh, I believe it's actually money magazine, maybe as a subsidiary of time.com, but anyway, so they're talking about, you know, how much you should have saved in for retirement by various ages. Mm -hmm. So for example, so the first one is, you know, by the time you reach age 30, you should have saved roughly one times your annual salary. So by the time you're 30 and let's say you're making, I don't know if it's, you know, well, if it's $50,000 a year, then hopefully you've saved roughly $50,000 in your, you know, 401k or IRA or whatever it is that you're, you're putting away for retirement. That lines up 10, 10, 15% savings over seven, eight years plus growth, hopefully. And the, equals, and, and, yeah. and we're not, you know, we're not, you know, condoning these or saying that these are perfect. I'm okay with that one. Yeah, these are I'm just okay. these are just rough, rough guidelines. Okay. Uh, so the next one is, okay, so by the time you reach age 40, you should have roughly three times well, your annual salary. Yep. And so obviously, you know, your your salary is probably going up over time. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, and so again, these are just kind of rough guidelines. Um, let's see. So by age, I'm okay f- with that one because even though you're, that's only an extra ten years to triple it. But what you have working for you when when you start early enough, what you have working for you is compounding right. interest right. on previously saved dollars. So yeah, I'm okay with that one. Okay. So by by age fifty they're suggesting you should have about six times your annual salary. Okay. I had to think about that one. So by age 50. Yeah. So let's say, just to use big round numbers, let's say you make $100,000 a year, or at least by the, by the time you're age 50, mm-hmm. you know, you should have roughly $600,000 saved for retirement. Okay. Okay. Is that all they give? Do they stop there? Uh, and uh, by 60, eight times your annual salary. Okay. And so, and then by retirement, whatever, whatever age that may be, you know, if it's 65 or whatever, they're saying you should have roughly 10 times your salary. So they're saying you should have 10 times your salary. Yeah. And these I are, I'm uh, okay with that. These are just, you know, like we said, these are rough guidelines. They don't know, um, it, you know, it doesn't take yeah. into account debt, you know, so if you've accumulated a bunch of right. debt. You know, this may or may not work. Um, you know, if you're if you have your mortgage, if your mortgage is paid off, you know that's a big that's a big variable. Yeah. Uh, these are just kind of rough rough guidelines for you know if you're kind of curious, uh, you know where you where you fit uh, in the grand scheme of things. It's kind yeah. of something to think about. I like those better than I think previously you looked at a fidelity one and it was right. very aggressive. I it, thought it did seem a little ages. high. Yeah, and I don't remember the numbers, but although, but you know what, fidelity has done a lot of research too regarding cost of health cost of healthcare potential cost of healthcare in the future we're actually going to talk about that a little bit later in the show but i'm sure they were building in pretty significant buffer i'm guessing they were building in a pretty significant buffer um, for those costs which if they continue on their current um, 
path will be a very significant portion of someone's expenses when it comes when when they get older um all right let's take a break we are talking about new year new you i'm Alyssa mcnamara reed joined this morning by my husband and business partner kirk reed and we are giving you guys some uh new year's resolutions financially speaking anyway our next one is ensuring we have a cohesive investment plan so we're going to talk about investments and allocations and we are going to be right back the South Shore's breaking news, weather, and traffic station. WATD FM Marshfield. WATD Brockton. This is Alyssa McNamara Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Here's what people want to know about me Are you a fiduciary? Are you independent? And thus, are your recommendations for me in my best interest? Are your costs reasonable? Can you help me with my money and making a plan for my future? Fortunately, the answer to all of those questions is yes. Call my office to find out more. 781-834-2010. You own a business or you're running a nonprofit or a municipality and you just might be somewhat overwhelmed with all the changes in state health care law, federal mandates, rules governing retirement, employee benefits. For instance, do your employees understand the value and costs of their current benefits? Oh, and by the way, what about tomorrow's changes in state and federal policy? Keeping up is a full-time job, you have better things to do. Gallagher Benefits of Boston and Quincy are benefits experts. To be somewhat formal, Gallagher Benefits offers strategic consulting that assists employers in providing wellness and health promotion programs and offers advisory services to provide insight, understanding, and answers. Let Gallagher handle the headaches. Visit the web at AJG.com. Leave the aspirin on the shelf. AJG.com. This is Kirk Reed with McNamara Financial. What's the best investment strategy for you? Well, depends on your age, risk tolerance, and a number of other things. Give me a call and let's talk about your situation. 781-834-2010 or check out McNamaraFinancial.com. This is 95.9 WATD in Marshfield, Massachusetts, the South Shores radio station. You are listening to McNamara on Money. Please give us a call at 781-837-4900 with your questions or comments. Okay, Alyssa, let's get back to business. All right, we are back. Uh, I was just going to make a couple announcements. So let's see, next Saturday, January 12th, uh, the topic is 2019 financial numbers. Uh, that's with Mike and Pamela McNamara. Uh, Mike will discuss important financial numbers along with some changes made in 2019. Uh, so I think he's going to talk about you know the new you know uh, 401k contribution numbers, uh, some tax changes, you know different um, different things like that. Um, one other announcement is that. Uh, I, myself, uh, Kirk Reed, will be hosting a financial planning and investment education um, workshop, seminar, whatever you want to call it, um, at the Hanover High School uh, on Monday, February 11th, and that is at 7 o'clock. Um, it, is, it is $19. That just goes to the Hanover um, Department of, uh, I think it's, uh, you know, recreation. Um, and we're just going to be talking about you know, 
high level investment uh, education um you know kind of going over the basics you know stocks and bonds and you know mutual funds and um you know it's just purely educational uh, a good time to come and you know maybe learn something if, if you'd like to uh, or ask questions um and that will be at the hanover high school on february 11th um you could call the office uh, if you want to register, uh, 781-834-2010. Uh, I believe you can also go on to hanoverschools.org, uh, and there's a way to, to find it through there under their uh, adult education uh, section. All right, so back to the topic at hand. Uh, Hold on, one second. Oh. We have a huge announcement. We didn't even, we didn't even talk about it yet. Okay, sorry. This is huge, people, and you'll have to forgive me because I was just eating part of my breakfast. Um, huge announcement. McNamara on Money now has a second time slot on Sunday mornings. Oh, boy. I can't believe we forgot to announce that earlier in the show. We were just talking about it before we started. So as our, these listeners know, we currently air the show Saturdays from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m., and we have done that, I think, for 30 years, though it used to be 8.30 to 10.30. But a few years ago, we, we switched from 8 to 10. But for 30 years, or 25 years anyway, um, we've been on Saturday mornings. But now we will have a second time slot, which will be Sundays, 7.30 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. starting tomorrow, right? Tim? Yes, tomorrow's the big day, January 6th. Starting tomorrow. So we're very, ex- calendar. We're very excited about that. Uh, and is it is, is it just a replay of the Saturday show? Well, may it might sometimes be, but actually because you and I have um, often have commitments on Saturday mornings with the girls, we might, I was talking to Mary Beth who coordinates our show about maybe there might be times when we record live on Sunday and then there's either, you know, a different show on Saturday. So it won't always Saturday be. Saturday might be a replay of yeah. something else. Um, don't get nervous, Tim. We'll we'll give you all the details. I am not nervous. Mary well, Beth, I, I was getting nervous that nope. we, I was going to have to come in on Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Mary Beth was definitely getting nervous when I started because our original plan was record live Saturday. If people miss it, they can tune in Sunday. Um, but I was kind of talking about for lifestyle reasons, family reasons. Right. Kirk and I, anyway, might prefer to record live Sunday and have the Saturday show be a prior show. So we didn't really work out all the details yet, but we're very, very, very excited for um, more exposure to McNamara on Money. And it, it's great for our listeners if they're busy Saturday mornings, they can tune in Sunday mornings. Um, there might be times when we're here live on Sunday and people can call in with questions on Sunday as well, which would be great. <clears throat> and also, as many people know, and we've announced in the past, we do have a podcast. So if you do miss the show live, you can search McNamara on Money on your podcast app. And we're right now going through the process of making the podcast a shorter podcast because it's been a two-hour podcast for a long time, which is really long. So we're trying to break it up into shorter segments. Um, or so for people, people who don't have access to the podcast, the Sunday morning re play is perfect. That's right. Perfect. Love it. Um, So anyway, huge announcement. Sorry we forgot about that. McNamara on Money now Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings. First thing in the morning when you wake up and have your coffee. All right. So Kirk and I have been talking about New Year's resolutions. New Year, New You from a financial point of view. Um, Our third out of four resolutions. I will ensure that I have a cohesive investment plan. And more simply stated, I will make sure my money is uh, doing what it's supposed to be doing. 
uh, invested properly, um, invested at all. Sometimes people have investment accounts in cash. They didn't even know it wasn't invested, uh, this type of stuff. So I guess even more simply stated, I will pay attention to where my money is. So we broke this down a few different ways. And I think the simplest uh, way that you can approach this or the first thing you should do when when you're going to approach this is just like literally just ma- make a list of all your investment accounts. And, you know, some people have done a good job over the years consolidating and, and might not have money in all different places. And there are other people we meet that literally have money all over the place with um, different financial custodians, um, you know, old 401ks that might still be old 401ks or old 401ks that are rollovers, you know, money, just all over the place. And um, I think that's just as a result of people don't know what to do with it, um, don't know that they can consolidate, don't know that, you know, you can roll old 401ks. Sometimes you can roll old 401ks into new 401ks. I mean, I think that that the result of the, this happens because people just kind of don't know what to do and don't have a cohesive investment plan. So it just they kind of... They haven't had the time and this is, so this is new year, right. new you. New year, new year. Time to sit down and put things together. Yeah, so... Um, whether you're going to do this on your own or whether you're going to ask an advisor to help you, what you need and what your advisor will need is is simply a list of where things are. A list is most helpful. Grabbing statements that you get in the mail or that you get in via email is is great as well. Um, Those help for different reasons and that there's a lot of information in the statements that that, um, you'll need, but simply making a list of what do I have, if I'm married, who owns it, what type of account it is, what's the balance, where is it held, am I contributing to it or not? Those are sort of the big things that you need to know. Um, really important to to break down, or I, I think it's important to group by type of account, and that broadly speaking can just be retirement account, which is IRA, 401k, I would put Roth IRA in there, simple IRA, SEP IRA, um, any sort of pension plan. Um, I would put all of those things in the retirement category and then just make a non-retirement category too. So that's joint accounts with you and whoever, a spouse or whoever, um, individually held accounts. They might be called brokerage accounts. They might be called non-qualified accounts. Non-qualified annuities. There could, right. There could be a, tr- oh, that might need to be another list, but okay. there could be a trust <laughs> account. Th- those those are non-retirement. Um, Kirk just brought up the point about annuities. That's, in my mind, actually, that's like a third category because right. those can be... In the middle. It can be one or the other, but they, they're sort of different. So um, Bank accounts. Yeah, bank accounts. I guess if there's significant cash in bank accounts, like in what what I would call investable cash, if it's just like your checking or small savings or just like your emergency reserves, I don't necessarily um, think you need to list it when you're thinking about your investment accounts. But yeah, there's, well, but there's it's some part, people that, part of the overall part of the picture. picture. And if yeah. maybe somebody's accumulated a bunch of money and due to just you know, lack. being a really good saver, right? But and then, paying attention. but maybe they maybe they've saved so much that you know m- maybe some of that they could put to work. Perhaps, perhaps it depends. I should have brought my coffee with me, Kirk. I, I asked left, you. I I, I, I offered to buy you I a four dollar coffee, and you turned I, me down. I don't like. I don't have a problem with Starbucks, but I just prefer Dunkin' Donuts coffee. I know I had one cup at home, and then I left 
my other cup and I should I would have even made a Can special you just trip. Zip home for and you. Zip. Thanks so much. That's so sweet. Don't but, I have a before great the radio. Before the radio. <laughs> um Kirk is by the way a very good gift giver at the holiday time at ho- oh, at the holiday time. And I I've always said this to you that you're just like a really thoughtful gift giver. My mm-hmm. birthday is right before Christmas too, so um you're you're very thoughtful. Although this year I don't think I, I didn't really do much for your birthday this year. It is tricky when they're so close to each other and yeah, plus you told me not to buy okay. you anything anyway. So that's fine. That's fine. Kirk always outdoes me when it comes to gift giving. <sighs> I tried so hard this year too. You did a great job this year. Um all right, we di- we digress. <laughs> How did I even come up with that? <laughs> um all right, so ensuring you have a cohesive investment plan, number one, find all your accounts, write them down, figure out where where everything is. Um, sometimes that's actually harder than than it sounds. You know, there's sometimes when people are like, I know I have a chunk of money here, but I haven't seen a statement in five years or they'll bring in a right. statement that's like seven years old and they don't get them anymore. Oftentimes it has to do with, you know, somebody moved and didn't change the address or um, uh, statements are no longer physically mailed. They go electronically, yeah, but they don't may, have may, a login. Maybe like you change your email yeah. address and you know, they're yeah. sending it to the old one, which is either inactive yeah. or you don't check it. Uh, yeah. So make some phone calls if you need to. If you have, if you know you have money somewhere, Google the phone number or dig out that five or 10 year old statement and, and there's usually a phone number on it and just make a phone call. Usually all you need is a social security number or if you happen to have a statement that has an account number, then, then reference that and, and just start um, finding stuff. Um, I think the next step is understanding how each one is invested and sometimes people can, can do this on their own and sometimes um, not that they can't or they don't want to or they, or the, some people kind of need help with this stuff. But or the, Yeah, they either can't or they feel like they can't. Right. You know, they feel like right. it's beyond, you know, it's just... They don't, you know, they don't want to, or they feel like it's beyond them for some reason. Yeah. And, oh, sorry. That was awful. I just yawned right in the microphone. Um, but we're talking about such exciting things. Well, we're going to continue. So I had, I had a, a good example of this, okay. uh, or at least I think it is. So recently, you know, met with some people and, um, you know, they brought in their statements and we were just kind of going over them. And this is not necess- necessarily good or bad, but I was looking at it and, you know, they had significant portions of their a couple accounts in cash, yeah, or in, in like a money market fund, mm-hmm. and that's you know maybe it was for a reason, but you know when I asked them, you know they they didn't know why it was there, mm. um, and but you know so th- another good reason why you should be looking at looking at this and you know kind of doing some doing some accounting, you know, periodically, do it this year if you haven't done it in a while. You know, maybe a couple years ago, maybe they maybe they set some set aside some money for a particular reason. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they were going to make a big purchase uh, or they thought they were going to start maybe taking some income from their accounts and so they wanted to set aside some safe money. Maybe not. Well, but well, but maybe not. You know what I think happens often or what used to happen before they changed things around in the retirement industry. But years ago, when someone enrolled in a 401k or retirement plan through work, if they did not make an investment election, the default was to cash. And so some people, I don't know what investments to pick. I, I don't know what's appropriate for me. And they just wouldn't do anything. They would just kind of like ignore the problem. And and the default was it just goes in a money market. So people's dollars just went into a money market and never got invested because they didn't know. And they and then, and then they just forgot about it or whatever. The default has now changed, I believe, industry-wide. I, don't quote me on that. But the, the vast majority of the defaults that I see now 
now in retirement plans through companies is that it will default to a target date retirement fund that's based on your age, which I think is a fantastic default. Um, certainly better than just sticking it in cash because a lot of people, um, because because the default is probably roughly appro- roughly appropriate for someone where cash was roughly appropriate for almost no one for long periods of time anyway. Yeah. Or someone investing in a 401k unless you're like a year before retirement. Right. Or if you have zero tolerance for risk, then, yeah. then it might be appropriate. Right, but, right. But, but, but even still, probably not. Right. Um, so anyway, yeah. So so large chunks of cash, red flag in the... Yeah. If you don't know why it's there, especially. If you don't know why, yeah. I mean, it's because it's, you know, if it's a traditional money market, it's probably not earning much of anything. And um, yes, it's yes, it's safe and that's fine. But um you know, if it's if it's a retirement account and it's and it's a long term, you know, has a long term um, goal, uh, it should probably be invested differently. You know, where it's you know keeping pace with inflation. Right. So I think in order to like, if you have several different investment accounts, if you have one, this is pretty easy. But if you have north of like three or four investment accounts, it's pretty important to sit down and now that you have your list or your spreadsheet of where your money is. It's pretty important account by account to break down stock bond cash ratio or percentage or rough percentage. doesn't have to be exact. Sometimes this is easier because many investment companies, when you either log in to look at your account or when you get your statement in the mail, you they will give you a portfolio pie that has your stock bond percentages. This is, it's not uncommon to see that. Like the first thing that you see is like that lovely pie. So it oftentimes is pretty easy to determine, well, what is my stock bond ratio? And I would add cash to that as you were just mentioning. Generally speaking in an investment account, that's a long-term investment account. There should be a pretty small percentage of cash, one, two, three percent. If there's much more than that, hopefully there's a reason for it. So so just go through account by account and figure out um, what rough percentage of this account is stock investments. It could be individual stocks. It could be stock mutual funds. It could be index funds. Um, what is my bond percentage and what is my cash percentage? So that's a great starting point. And then again, if you have like five or 10 accounts, this can get confusing. What you're really looking for is what is your overall, one of the things you're looking for is what is your overall, your household stock bond cash ratio. And and maybe you could split that up into retirement, you know, retirement accounts have yeah, one, sure. if you put, if you add up all mm-hmm. your retirement accounts, what is that, what is that breakdown as far as stocks, bonds and cash? Right. If you have non-retirement assets, you know, maybe geared for a different goal, if it's college or a down payment on for something or a car, you know, that should no, you know, that that might have a different uh, allocation, uh, different strategy. Um, so that you know, you'd probably break them want to break them down like that. Yeah. Um, and again, this is like you know, a financial advisor would be like a kid in a candy shop doing this for you. So <laughs> I mean, this is like the stuff that that we love. I you know, I love um, going through and, and figuring stuff out. You know, I'd spreadsheet it if I could because I love doing spreadsheets. But um, but no, it's important to figure out because that leads, because what that tells us is whether at a very high level you're invested um, suitably, I was going to use appropriate, we've, we've beaten the word appropriate to death today, but um, what it helps us determine is if your investments at at least a, at a global level, like meaning uh, from a risk point of view, stock bond ratio helps us determine um, risk. 
in um, whether or not you're roughly suitably invested or if there's any red flags. Because, you know, I've met people, and I'm sure this is the same for you, I've met people who are 64 and want to retire next year and they're 100% stock. I've met people who are 35 and they're 40% cash. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and, you know, it's... uh, Hopefully, when we meet people, their their overall asset allocation or their the risk, which you know determines risk profile. Um, hopefully, when we meet people, it's roughly appropriate. Sometimes we make small tweaks, and you know we fit them into our portfolios, and um, and and hopefully there's not sweeping change. There's oftentimes not sweeping changes, but there are sometimes. Um, situations where we see somebody just unfortunately really not suitably invested and it's not that they made bad decisions it's just maybe that they didn't know or they didn't like you said know that they had this huge cash position or or maybe they um, they they knew they were all in stocks even even at an older age perhaps older than they should be all stocks but they didn't know what else to do. They didn't, you know, they didn't know when was the right time to lower risk, or maybe right. they got greedy and they they wanted to ride the markets and um, you know see what happened there. So I mean, oftentimes, I, oftentimes I think people just kind of forget about it, you know, because yeah. they're busy. They're busy with life, right? Um, right. And so you know, if you're do, if you're doing your own, you're doing your own investments. Um, you know, sometimes they just you just kind of forget about it, which yeah. which isn't always bad, uh, yeah. but yeah. but sometimes it can be. Yeah. Um, you know, as time as time goes on, time time moves you know pretty fast, and yeah. you know, so your your, your things are gonna you know your your, your does, allocation Kirk. should change and yeah. It does. Oh, I see batteries oh, flashing. Of All right, yeah. I'll fix that. Um, yeah, I mean, I've I've I just met someone fairly recently who we um, you know. Uh, us assessing someone's tolerance for risk, which is a way for us to determine what might be a suitable investment um, allocation or portfolio for someone. You know, um, us assessing risk is a fairly normal part of what we do, especially with new clients. I mean, we do it ongoing with our existing clients, but it's really important for us to do it with new clients. Um, but you know, one of the ways we assess it is for them to take a risk questionnaire. It's certainly not like the final determining factor, but it's just one um, factor. And 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 oftentimes, you know, that risk questionnaire could, for example, come out really conservative. Like I had this pretty recently, where someone's someone took a little questionnaire for me, and 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 the. Um, they scored in a very conservative way, which pointed to a fairly conservative portfolio that would be primarily bonds and stable investments. And and I looked at one of their IRAs and it had one biotechnology stock in it. It was like, you know, that's just a huge disconnect. And and this particular person, you know, knew there was a disconnect. And one of the reasons that they were sitting in my office was because they They recognized it and they- Closed the gap. Yeah, Yeah. they wanted help. And, you know, that's that's why advisors um, are there one of the reasons anyway. So um, understanding how your money is invested, huge, great starting point. Maybe the end result is it's appropriate and maybe it's, wow, I don't think this is appropriate for me or based on what I've heard. So it's just a good practice to go through. Go ahead. Um, you know, I was just going to say, you know, people's people's risk tolerance um, can change. Uh, Absolutely, 100%. It can change based on... Unfortunately, it can it can change based on what the markets are doing. It changes based on the markets. Yeah. You know, if the markets are going down, all of a sudden people are more conservative. Yep. And if they're going up, they feel more aggressive. Yep. And you know, part of our job is to 
you know, try to keep them to, you know, kind of stay the course as far as, you know, whatever their long-term goals are. You know, we've, we talked about what's an, what's, what's an appropriate strategy. Uh, it, and of course we do try to take into account their risk tolerance. Um, but, you know, it's because it's moving it, or to them it's moving, you know, we have to remind them, well, here's what we're, we're doing this for a certain reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, you know, we, we try to, try to <laughs> try, try to maintain a level head about it uh, even though things you know things are kind of changing ar- around everything you know everything that's going on people's risk tolerance changes with age and with markets yeah the, the age part it, is is more reasonable of course uh, it to is. me right um, right but but yeah I mean people's we try not to impulsively change portfolios based on markets right we have those conversations with people, but certainly their tolerance changes, and we try to reassess that ongoing. Um, not every year, not necessarily every year, but we try to have discussions ongoing about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so under the heading of "I will ensure I have a cohesive investment plan," we talked about just finding all your money. <laughs> pretty, pretty simple. Uh, determining your overall stock bond ratio. Um, but another component of that, I mean, globally speaking, stock bond cash, I'm sorry, ratio is really important. Um, getting down a little bit more to the finer details is ensuring that you're diversified. And there's a few ways to um, approach that. One approach would be ensuring that uh, we think it's, it's pretty important to ensure that you have global diversification, not uncommon for um, people to have the vast majority of their stock exposure be domestic stock exposure. Um, we feel that it's important to have a pretty significant percentage of international stock exposure. We're very comfortable with that and uh, in the near term and the long term. Um, so, you know, ensuring that you maybe have at least some exposure overseas. There's certainly some strong economies and some strong growth potential outside of the United States. Um, but you, there's all you know. Also, another way to dis- diversification in a different way is um, uh, com- uh, I was going to say company diversification, but that doesn't make sense. Like, like if you're if you have um, an account and there's two stocks in it, and it's a uh, hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and you've just got two stocks in there, that's not incredibly diversified. You're you're putting. I don't, you know, it depends on what your whole net worth is. If your net worth is five million, maybe that's not a big deal. But if it's if that's a pretty significant, or or any if that's a relatively high percentage of your net worth, or even if it's five or ten percent of your net worth, I think that's probably too much to just have in a couple of stocks. Maybe those are, you know, stocks that you inherited, what we would call a legacy stock position. And you know, sometimes it's hard to sell those because um, or emotional reasons, but also tax reasons can be hard to. Um, sell those, but but ensuring that you're diversified uh, and and own lots and lots and lots of different companies. If you're owning stock investments, and and m- people do that in the form of just owning mutual funds or stock right. indexes or ETFs. So making sure that you have exposure to more than like a few companies. If you're investing in stocks, because um, companies go out of business sometimes, and if you've got a significant percentage of your net worth and in just a couple of places, then you're putting too many eggs in one basket. I well, yeah. Not not only do they go out of business. I mean, that's that's the worst case. You know, worst case scenario is the you know that if you own one stock and that company goes bankrupt, uh, you could potentially lose you know 100 percent of your investment. That's yep. that's the worst case. Yeah. But the other thing is, you know, if you only own one or two stocks, and you know, if we go if we do go through a bear market, 
and you won't and and those particular stocks are harder hit than 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 the broad market and you need to tap into that money now you know now you're forced to sell some of your shares you know when they're down you know 30 yeah. or 40 you know 40 percent you know so yeah. it's not 100 percent loss but it you know it could be a very significant loss if yeah. if they are hard if they are very hard hit sectors uh you yeah. know of the market i we have like a general rule that you're you shouldn't have much more than 10% of your net worth. <clears throat> I would exclude the home. I would call it liquid net worth. Um, I, I don't, I'm uncomfortable when people have much more than 10% of their dollars invested in one company. We see this most frequently with people that work for a company and, and um, have, have stock purchase plans. Company and they, stock. Yeah, yeah, company stock. And, um, you know, oftentimes people are, feel very strongly and optimistic about their company, which is awesome. But we just, um, I, I get pretty uncomfortable when someone has more than 10 or certainly 15% of their net worth tied up in one company because company could go out of business and you want to make sure you're not, you, you want to make sure your exposure to that one company isn't more that you could afford than you can afford to lose. So if you could afford to lose, uh, in, that, in that example, 150 grand in a couple of companies, if you could afford to lose that because your net worth is, is significant and, and that would be okay and you're willing to take that risk, then fine. Um, but, but I think it should be a relatively small percentage if you're tying it up in just one company. Uh, we do have a caller, so we're going to go to Joe from Hanson. Good morning, Joe. How are you? Hey, good morning, guys. How are you? Good, thank you. What's going hey, on? Great, Joe. I always like, always like listening to you guys. With, okay. Yawn and all. It doesn't matter. Th thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank so, you. So I, 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 hear, uh, I hear you using the pronoun we uh, quite often. And, uh, and I, I've always found it kind of, and this is just from personal experience and being young and not knowing the industry as well as perhaps I should have or done, yeah. doing my own homework. Um, how, how, how do you suggest or what do you recommend uh, we, you're talking industry standard, I'm assuming, or do you just mean your practice? Um, and, and I guess what my, my get to get to my question is that not everybody obviously is going to have the same outlook or opinion. I, I, I do understand there are some things that are general industry standard opinions, uh, but there are folks out there. And like I was saying, I had some personal experience myself early on when I was in my late twenties. Uh, getting into uh, my own retirement plan and investing and things like that. But the first one I had gone to, uh, I found out at the end uh, of a year that, that we, to use that pronoun again, we didn't share the same philosophies. And I ended up uh, dropping uh, that person as a, a representative and, and kind of going with somebody else. But I, I did have a hard time kind of, you know, vetting uh, the good people. Is there, there are tools out there that you could use or oh. is it just general conversation? That's an... It I very much appreciate this question, by the way. Thank you. And I don't know in what context I used the word we. I, I, I certainly could have used it as far as an industry standard. Um, I would more on this show, for this particular show, I probably use that more commonly as like we as a firm, like McNamara Financial, we have four advisors sure. in our firm and we think, there it is again, but we do think, <laughs> or we, there are many ways that we think similarly um, regarding, you know, uh, asset allocation and, and market outlook and, and behavior. I think there is a lot of overlapping um, uh uh, thoughts r between the four advisors in our firm. So if I said we today, it was probably, and if you have a specific example, I can answer specifically, but probably was regarding we as a firm. 
but right and the way and then in the industry like you were saying about diversification when you say we uh talk about you know that that's the industry itself they, um, we the industry want to have diversification that's understandable yeah um th- in that case talking about diversification and like stock bond ratio i sure, probably sure. i actually probably use that as we again we as a firm um, and, but, yeah, and I think you, I think, I think mostly, yes, most, most of the we's are as a firm, yeah. um, Joe, but, um, you know, obviously, obviously we're not, we probably think very similar to a lot of other firms, but they're, they're obviously, you know, differing opinions out there, of course. But I do appreciate this question because it brings up a point and, and this is talked about actually in the industry quite free, quite frequently. There are some firms that operate as a business where, um, a client works with a business and they might have a few different advisors that pop in and out and they're just working with a firm. There are other companies like ours, for example, that operate what's more like what we call a practice, which is where each advisor in the firm, so each of our four advisors at McNamara Financial, really operate their own practice within the business. In other words, I meet with my clients and I take care of my clients. And sometimes there are situations where we pinch hit for each other, of course, but I work with my clients and I have my own opinion opinions for and, and recommendations for that client and mm-hmm. um, you know we talked a minute ago about how we as a firm there are certainly overlapping um, uh, there are certainly things where we would overlap but we certainly have differing opinions um, at times as well I'm a very if you get to know me Joe I'm a very strongly opinionated person <laughs> and I'll never be shy about <laughs> sharing my opinion and and um, several of the advisors in our firm are the same but does that answer your question I sort of answered that in a few different ways but sure um, somewhat yeah absolutely I, I was just wondering if you know the restaurant industry if you go and you know that the restaurant industry this restaurant has two Michelin stars you know hey they're a pretty good restaurant is there a way for people to use things you know if you want to uh, oh. you want to get a good baby you yep. want to get a good babysitter you can vet your neighbors you know oh is there sure a way out there are there tools that, um, that, that we that we the public can use to to be able to I suppose vet the different uh, practices that we would want to have to choose from. Uh, that's what I was saying. When I was younger, I had a practice that I was with that they were very, very aggressive. Oh, okay. Um, and and, and not, not as aggressive as I would have appreciated. Although I was younger, had time on my hands, I still just myself uh, wasn't uh, of the opinion to have an aggressive portfolio. Yeah. But unfortunately, I did, um, and I ended up uh, kind of drop in the practice because of that fact, because our philosophies were just different. Okay. So here's a couple things you should know. And again, I so appreciate this question. I think this is a great question. Um, There are um, a couple of organizations that I'm aware of that will allow you to do searches for um, planners. You You can go to the well, again, in our industry, there are asset managers and there are financial planners, and then there are both. And so um, it, it sort of depends on what you're looking for. But I know that a way for if you're looking for a financial planner who is probably also an asset manager, but might not be like a stock picker, um, there you can go to the financial planning association, and financial planners would. Um, would would register themselves and you can do a planner search but it's not like i'm not aware of like a rating system 
for financial advisors. Yeah. Um, I was just okay. doing... We don't have Michelin stars. <laughs> but If we were a restaurant, we would. No, I can't say that. Here's, here's another thing that, that you need to know. We have um, a, a, a myriad of compliance regulations that we have to comply with. The SEC, um, uh, we have to comply with um, with their their guidelines. And, and one of the things that's been an industry standard for a long time is that we have not been able to, for a long time, we were not able to publish on our website or social media testimonials or right. we were not able to publish our ratings. That has changed a little bit. For a while, you just couldn't do it or you were gonna risk getting fined. You just you just couldn't make make it aware what people were saying about you. Now, right. now we can... Um, like on Facebook, for example, there's like, if you're a business, you know, there's the stars. I think it's stars. Um, you can, po- you can publish those things. You just can't like weed out the bad ones. So, so I mean, right. you know, biz- we certainly now can, um, make public what people say about us, the good, but you have to have the good and the bad, but for like a really long time for compliance reasons, advisors, if they were being compliant, weren't allowed to, um, make any of that stuff public. Like if anyone said anything about us, we used to have to hide it. And that's changing a little bit because they're, you know, because, because the SEC can't control r- social media, to be quite honest, like it is what it is and it's part of our world. Um, but, you know, so, so that, you know, that's one way because now that it's more common for them to publish that stuff and there will be good reviews and, and maybe sometimes there will be poor reviews. Um, but there's really not a great, I mean, you can go to like FINRA's website, the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and you can you can do a broker check, which just means like you can check to see if there was any uh, pending or past lawsuits or any litigation against an advisor. Yeah, that's a way to check. Um, you can check, you can check their experiencing, you know, what licenses they have. So it's kind of like, yeah. you know, you can see some things. And then there's also... Right. You know, yeah. like we're, you know, we're all certified financial planners. Uh, so there's a separate website for that, uh, which is letsmakeaplan.org. And you can basically, you know, check that somebody is a CFP certificate and check. You can also, you know, check their disciplinary background yeah. uh, and make sure that they're legit. Um, but other than that, I mean, the, the really, I mean, probably the best thing is, you know, talk, you know, talk to people, you know, and see, you know, mm-hmm. and if they're happy, that's one thing. Or you just really go meet with people and, yeah. you know, interview them and see if it makes, if it makes, you know, makes sense. It's not uncommon. That's what we ended up doing in the end was just kind of going through, uh, you know, family and friends and, you know, asking uh, what their experience were. And we, we ended up finding somebody that was uh, perfect for us. And, and, and we just kind of did Great. the front. But like you were saying, there wasn't a regulatory yeah. uh, thing at the time that we could look at. Uh, and, and, and the social media aspect of it is a perfect point. And you guys definitely, for your program, you get a thumbs up like for me, that's for sure. Oh, <laughs> go to our website, thumbs up <laughs> like us. Um, no, you got it. Th- thank you. Thank you for your call. I had one other thought. Thank and you for I taking my call. Was. I appreciate it. All right, Joe, have thank a good you. day. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, that was a really good ch- uh, question. I wanted to, Joe, if you're still listening, I just remembered what I was going to say. A perfect way, well... It's not uncommon for a new client that comes in to meet with us and who might feel the way Joe feels and wants to, you know, maybe get a little, you know, maybe they've he's met with someone, but he just wants a little bit more information before working with them. Not uncommon for people to ask us for 
a list of our existing clients that we've maybe had for a long time that they could contact and just ask a few questions like, hey, what is it like to work with this person? What's your experience been like? Um, so I have, you know, in it, in my office, I have a list of clients that I've worked with for a long time who I've, of, 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 course, of course, received prior permission from, hey, is it okay for me to share your phone number and email if someone wants to call you and a potential new client wants to call and ask a question? So, um, I don't know what's wrong with me right now, but I'm forgetting what's the word for that list. Not a referral list. Uh, what's the word for that list? Uh, uh, not a recommendation list. I, 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 couldn't, I can't think of the word. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's out of the realm of uh, appropriateness to ask a potential new advisor for a list of at least a few people that they currently work with that may yeah, be... Yeah, referral, a referral. Is it a referral uh, list? Uh, no, what a, what a... I'll come up with it. Uh, thank you. And... Um, you know, just so that, and I've had reference, people, references. References, that's reference. what it is. References. Ask for references. Well, um, and, you know, so one other comment I had, you know, to his question was, you know, one of the things that we, that we do with folks is we don't, we don't typically do it on a first meeting. You know, somebody, if a new person comes in, you know, we, it's kind of, it's very big picture. Just, it's more of, a, is it a fit? Yeah. You know, big picture. And it's typically not until a subsequent meeting that, you know, we get kind of get into a little more details about what our f investment philosophy is, which was one of his questions. And yeah. to make sure, you know, here, here's what we think, here's what we believe, here's here's how we think things work. Yeah. And hopefully that they agree. And if not, then then that's where we're, you know we may or may not part ways um, if if it doesn't if it doesn't make sense. Um, but maybe we should do more of that, you know, up front. I I don't know, as opposed to waiting. Um, Oh, regarding investment yeah, philosophy. Yeah, I guess it depends yeah. on the person, you know, what their what their primary objectives well, are. But yeah, it depends on what they're looking for yeah. and hopefully they would But we, they would but we do it. like to, you know, we do certainly spend some time on investment philosophy uh, before we invest anyone's money. Um, See, there's that word we again. Now, every time we say we, I'm going to be wondering. I, I think firm, for the most part. Yeah. For what he was asking about. Yeah, for the, I think for the most part, anytime we used we today, that was like firm wide. But I mean, you know, I, I think his question was really good and that, because there is a difference between a firm and its advisors. Like at McNamara Financial, we have regular meetings with the advisors. We talk about stuff. We might talk about uh, a client situation. We might um, we might all have a conversation about the markets together. We might um, talk about uh, whether or not we have any portfolio changes. I mean, there's a lot of things that we do as a firm. The money management the global money management decisions, which which is like uh, how the portfolios are situated right now. You know, those are firm wide. Um, but but every each advisor that's working with his or her own clients, you know, while we have our firm beliefs, we have our individual advice, and and we have our individual recommendations for the clients. Um, and if you met with, even if you met with four advisors at McNamara Financial, I'm going to guess you would get four, maybe very, they, they might differ, but they would probably differ slightly, very slightly, very slightly. like our, you know, the, the way that we approach um, situations and determining tolerance for risk and, and um, those things are probably pretty similar. Maybe the exact details might differ a little bit, but um, you know, work with like Joe was saying, 
you should, if you have an advisor, you should work with someone that you're comfortable with. And he was uncomfortable and he left and that's the right thing to do. You shouldn't stay with someone that you're uncomfortable with. And hopefully when you are determining working with an advisor, you meet with someone and you, and you, you need to feel comfortable with that person. Um, Tim, we missed our, is it okay to just skip that break or should we just do it real quick right now? Um, let's just skip it because we can just finish up this one segment and we'll skip our fourth segment because we, we got a little sidetracked right now. Is that okay with WATD? It was just our commercials that you're running anyway. Hi, we this is Alyssa McNamara Reed. Other ones? Okay. <laughs> uh, I'll just do a commercial right now. No, I just, we only have ten or twelve minutes, and let's just finish up this um, this last this third New Year's resolution, and then we will call it a day. Um, so uh, before that call in from Joe, which was much appreciated, thank you. Uh, we were talking about our um, third. New Year's resolution when it comes to your money, and that was I will ensure that I will have a cohesive investment plan. Um, and I think we, you know, we talked about making a list, figuring out how it's invested, stock bond cash ratio, making sure it's diversified globally, making sure it's diversified, and that you're not invested in like one or two companies. You don't have it. Uh, I think that's where we sort of ended off. Is that you know, make sure you don't have too significant an amount of your net worth, too significant an amount of your money is invested in like one place because that that and that can be pretty risky. And actually, I just thought by of, one place you mean one stock. Thank you. Not one stock. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Oh, that brings up yes. Well, <laughs> yeah. no. That, well, I, yeah. That brings up a great. That brings it, up a great. Actually, that brings up a great issue. Okay. I, th- I think I know where you're going, and uh, I think I'm going to the same place. But you know, we've had I, this question has come up to us about. You know, if we're working with somebody and they do, you know, we've, you know, maybe we manage some accounts for the, for them, and maybe they have another one, and they're concerned about, you know, consolidating everything under our umbrella. Manager and, diversification, right? And and, yeah. and they might ask, well, does that mean I'm not diversified if I have all of my assets with one, you know, with one firm or with one advisor? Um, and our answer, and this would go for any advisor out there, uh, would be would be we don't think so, yeah. and th- and that's because you know within you know within the accounts, the accounts themselves are very diversified. You know, you own thousands of different stocks. You know, maybe you know, you know maybe bonds if you have bonds. You know, thousands of bonds, and and globally diversified. So from our opinion or from our point of view, that's that's not not a risk. Yeah. Um, but with that being said, there are people out there that. You know, they want to maybe have some money uh, with different advisors because maybe there's different perspectives, um, and so that you know. And and some advisors might be okay with that, and some might not. So mm-hmm. people should just be aware of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, we and we also there are some people that have brought up aired concerns about this. We have ways to diversify in a household within a household. Like if someone has two accounts and they're both moderate risk. If someone has concerns, well, so our process would be option A, or our first choice would be invest both of those two accounts in what we think is the best portfolio. We always invest our clients in what we think is the best portfolio if we can. Sometimes there's tax reasons that we might not be able to, or size reasons that we might not be able to. But our first choice is they would be invested in what we think is the best portfolio. If someone says, they have maybe concerns about man. This is like manager diversification, or port, or I guess portfolio diversification. We could actually have two moderate risk portfolios that look a little bit different. They might have a little bit different positions. Um, they, they they might have like have different large cap stock positions, for example. So we can divert. So under our umbrella, we can diversify 
um, in another way to address that concern. And we've certainly done that in the past with people that have concerns about that. But my answer would be whether you work with us or you work with someone else, you're not going to achieve the exact same return. There could be years when we outperform and there could be years when someone else outperforms. It's portfolio dependent. But if you had the same exact risk-based portfolio, it, it, it's it's going to be a coin flip, you know, who outperforms the other. And, and the outperformance is probably not much more than a few tenths of a percent or more. If you have the same portfolio, I mean, obviously, if right. one is more risky than the other, that's different. Um, but the so so whether or not this guy's outperforming this guy by three tenths of a percent is really not the biggest issue. The biggest issue is who do you trust? Who do you, whose advice do you value? And, and, and who do you trust with, with your financial decisions? And that's who you should be working with. I, I don't necessarily think portfolio manager diversification. Um, I think it can be, I think diversification can be achieved in other ways. Um, and, and I would say that that you might you might think well she's saying that so that people will transfer their money you know the other chunk of money over to us and you know what I that could go the other way and somebody might transfer money out and and, and go to somebody else and that's okay you should work with who you trust and I would stand by that right uh, you know one other thing I was going to mention was you know maybe for working with like a husband and a wife and you know maybe one of the one of the two is more conservative than the other yeah. and and maybe they each have their own separate accounts and you know some, some sometimes there's his money and there there's hers money right. and you know maybe you know maybe the husband wants to be more aggressive or more conservative or in the in the wife vice versa you know we can certainly accommodate that by you know yeah. they can have different strategies if yeah. that if that works for them it may or may not be our recommendation but you know, but if it but if it works for them and, and if it works for their plan, right? Then then we would be okay with that, and we can do that. I actually quite often have diversification at the household level. I actually really, really um, believe in having, and sometimes it ends up being husband and wife have different portfolios just because they like each have a chunk of money. But I actually really. Um, I think it's important to have portfolio diversification and have you know one account, you know, either higher risk or lower risk than another, just in, and we've talked about this before off air and I think on air that I think there are investment reasons to do that, to have different risk uh, based portfolios. But I also think probably 75% of the reason is emotional mm -hmm. in nature and that no matter what the markets are doing, if you have different portfolios, one is going to be outperforming the other and you'll feel good no matter what the market's doing. And I, and I think that that's really important for people because emotions, as much as we tell people to ignore their emotions, emotions play into financial decisions and, um, and, and it's important for people to be able to sleep at night, right? And feel comfortable about that, their investments and especially in down markets. All right. We have a couple more minutes. New Year's resolution number three, I will ensure that I have a cohesive investment plan most common question I get is, um, how should I be invested? I'm going to answer that very broadly, again, with my compliance disclosure, ask your advisor, get tailored advice. But very, very broadly speaking, if you're like under age 50, a significant portion of your investments for retirement should be in stock, in a diversified stock portfolio. You should have, I would, I would go out on a limb and say you should have at least... 80 or 90% exposure to stocks or 100% exposure to stocks if you're age 50 or under. Um, and that's assuming a normal retirement that's, age of like early to mid 60s. That's risk tolerance aside. Yes. Uh, true, true, right. That's my comfort level. Someone's 
a client's comfort that's, level could be what, different. That's what and, we, you know, yeah. without yep. without your, with, if you take your take your stomach out of the equation. That's we think that we think that's your best bet, right? And most people that are ten or fifteen years or more from retirement um, can stomach a market downturn because it's almost like it's not real. Like, not that it's not real, but it's well, I don't need this money for a long time anyway. It's I have more plenty of paper, time, yeah. and it's yeah. yeah. Um, if you are over fifty, and again, I'm uh, sort of with this. I'm assuming like a, a normal retirement age of what I would call early to mid sixties. So if you're over age fifty you should have less, probably less than 100% exposure to stocks. Um, and again, how, how far you are over 50, if you're 59, that's different from 51 if you're retiring mid 60s. But um, I would say around age 50, you should be thinking about, is it time to start adding more stable investments in my portfolio? Because you're starting to get to a point where you're less concerned with growth and you're more concerned with preservation of what you have um, and so I can't get much more detailed than that because yeah. I mean, it's I would, really yeah. an individual and it depends on when you might retire and need the money. And having said that, retirement age isn't really the end all be all either because I'm currently working with a couple that's still working but and will continue to work for several years but is going to start a draw from their portfolio because they can afford to do it and they want to like have some more fun traveling. And, and, and in this particular situation they can afford to do it and so you know it's i guess so the caveat is that 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 retirement date's not the end all be all it's really situationally dependent but that was just some ballpark advice mm -hmm. so like if you're 40 and your you know stock if your bond and cash exposure is 50 percent, then that might not be appropriate for yeah. you so ha check that out all right so we should probably wrap it up here pretty soon um we have talked this morning about um new year New You, New Year's resolutions from a financial perspective. Um, we got three out of the four. That was pretty good. We got sidetracked, but that's okay because Joe called in with a really great question. Um, our first one, our your first New Year's resolution, I will behave appropriately when it comes to my <laughs> investments. I will not panic and, and make an impulsive move in a downturn and I will not greedy and make impulsive risky moves in, in bull markets. Uh, the second one was, I will not, I'm sorry, I will let my goals determine my savings, not what I'm calling my unmonitored surplus, if existent, right? right? So we talked about set your goals first, spend later, don't just spend first, and then like maybe save what's left if there's anything. Two minutes. All right. I'll stretch this out. Well, too, no problem. Okay. So I have a, a comment on that one. So okay. about, so, so what do you, so what do you do? So for that one, you know, my recommended you know, resolution is, you know, whatever type of account it is that you're gonna, you know, if it's if it's if you're starting investing, s figure out some amount, you know, monthly that you're comfortable with, yeah, and set up an automatic, you know, transfer, yeah, you know, if it's a hundred dollars a month, five hundred dollars a month, whatever it is, figure out an amount that you're comfortable and just set it up, and and then it'll actually happen, right. Um, and that's you know that's the best thing I can tell you Set to it do. And forget it. It's like a it's like a salary deferral. Because if you keep okay. if you yeah. don't if you don't do it, and if you say you're gonna do it, it, a lot of times it just doesn't happen. Yeah. And the last one was I will ensure that I have a cohesive investment plan. Find out what you have, where it's held, how it's invested, and make sure it's appropriate. 
I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. We are financial advisors at McNamara Financial right here in Marshfield. Join us on Saturday mornings, 8 to 10 a.m., and now Sunday mornings, 7.30 to 9.30 a.m. Have a great weekend, everybody. Talk soon.